Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 458 on Tuesday, the 1st of March, 2022. Hello, I'm Andrew. And you'll notice there is no Alan, I'm afraid. And there is also no co-host. Due to a variety of circumstances that has led to the position where I'm going to do this on my own. So apologies to anybody who finds me too irritating, but that's where we are today. I will now crack on. This week, I'll be discussing how one company boasts about profit in one breath and threatens suppliers over money in the next. I'll also be talking about how the government is moving its grant goalposts yet again. And I pass on the link to a Green Lane consultation that needs addressing. So we go straight into new news, and it is congratulations. Congratulations to Kia for their EV6 has been named Car of the Year 2022. It's fought off the Renault Megane E-Tech and the sister brand Hyundai Ioniq 5. Now, this was awarded in Geneva. Typically, back in the day, in the before times, this would be during the Geneva International Motor Show, but that has now been postponed, cancelled. Oh, I think we can call it cancelled now. It's beyond postponing, as it's the third year running. This just happened in this quiet event that wasn't surrounded by the motor show but brilliant work by Kia because that's their first time of winning the world car of the year award it's the third pure battery electric car to do so other cars in the mix was the Renault 308 the Skoda Enyaq the Ford Mustang Mach-E and the Cupra Born great work by Kia and it backs up what I've seen in a lot of reviews about how good a car it is Going to move on to financial reports, and we'll go to Stellantis first. And they have announced really good financial results in 2021, which is not that surprising because so much comparison is with 2020, which we know was awful. But they have net profits increasing by 11.8% to 13.4 billion euros, a net revenue that rose 14% to 152 billion euros. And they are predicting uh, another double-digit operating income margin for this year. And that includes taking into account the, uh, the supply chain crisis and the pandemic. But also this week, Stellantis did talk about, or their, their CEO, Tavares, did talk about how suppliers and dealerships are going to need to help out Stellantis and shoulder more of the financial burden than they are already when it comes to electrified vehicles, which is interesting. It's an interesting tactic. We'll see how that goes uh, moving forward. In the current climate of business and finances, not sure how viable that's going to be as a, as a tactic, but we will see. More financial news, and this time from Aston Martin. And they have narrowed their losses, despite the fact that the Valkyrie has been delayed. But they have reduced their pre-tax losses to 213.8 million, which was down from an eye-watering 466 million in 2020. This again is for 2021. But their revenues jumped 79% to 1.1 billion pounds during 2021. They are confident and bullish about 2022. They uh, hope to ship between, according to this Yes Auto article, between 75 and 90 Valkyries to customers in 2022. But they are also very happy with the performance of the DBX that has really pushed on for them. They've had an increase of 35% 
of sales in the UK and the Americas has also increased as well. So they're really confident that the changes they've made in their business model are beginning to bear fruit. Again, we all want Aston Martin to do well. We know they've had financial struggles pretty much ever since they started. So so it's not, not unusual for us to be discussing that. But they've had uh, yet more cash injection from Stroll, and they aim to return to profitability next year. The DBX is going to need to do astonishingly well, but that does tie in with the fact that they announced last week or the week before that they are opening up another 100 jobs in their plant in South Wales to deal with the DBX itself. So they obviously feel they have that capacity and the ability to increase sales to that that sort of quantity, which can only be a good thing because we want Aston Martin to survive. Right, again, sticking with money, but slightly different this time, the Volkswagen Group is in advanced discussions over floating Porsche on the stock market. There are many, 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 many people who are questioned why this happened hasn't happened beforehand, but they are seemingly much more towards the point where it will happen. And there has been indications or valuations from some suggesting that the Porsche could be valued at up to 85 billion euros, which is 71.1 billion pounds. And that, according to the Financial Times, would would be one of Germany's biggest public offerings in recent years. Now, I did see something interesting about this. I haven't been able to verify it, but one of the points I saw was the Volkswagen Group would sell the shares, but they would hold no voting rights, which is very interesting because, as we know, a lot of companies get into trouble because investors can get together if they do not like a... the decisions the company's making, the direction it's going in, or the the people in charge, and they can affect change on that business. Sometimes not in a way that the company wants to go in, let alone the leaders. But we're seeing more and more what's being called activist investors that come in and destabilize companies for good and for bad reasons. But I think that might be part of a way to prevent that from happening. Porsche is the most profitable part of their business. It would follow in line with how Ferrari have done. Ferrari seem to have done superbly well since floating on the stock market. Porsche sells so many cars as well. So uh, it seems a sensible choice. Volkswagen Group need the cash. Let's be honest, they are investing so heavily in electrified vehicle technology as well as their software business, which hasn't gone great and then there's also the automated technology side of things which i won't go into i I won't subject you to that but i question the cleverness of how much they're pushing that and some of the statements that are coming out how quickly that'll be on the actual roads it looks from the outside like a no-brainer even though the stock market is quite a silly game but it's it's a good way for a company to make money quickly and get some cash into their system. Finally, moving away from finances, now we move on to South Wales, and there is discussions going on in the Welsh government for ideas on continuing to improve the air quality of a lot of areas in South Wales. The latest 
uh, round of this sort of work is looking at a variety of options, and one of them is to increase the number of 50-mile-an-hour zones. This would be, in this instance, the A470 between Coryton and Nantigal uh, near Cardiff, and also more sections of the M4, this time between Junction 43 and 44 in the Nice-Swansea area. They haven't come to a final list of all the things where they are considering or, or could be used to help improve air quality. But once they do get that, do get the short list of options together, they will, they say, have a full public consultation. If you are in the South Wales area or travel through there, when the consultation comes out, we will do our best to keep an eye on this and pass out that information. But you keep an eye out as well and you make your voice heard. I don't have any details on how well the current 50 mile an hour zones are doing in terms of improving the air quality. I presume they must be doing some sort of air quality improvement, but it would be interesting to see how much of a difference they make because the problem is that the stats are going to be skewed with the reduction in people travelling as well. We will keep an eye on that and we will pass on information for our listeners who do go along those roads. News that Sheffield is to become the base for a new generation of greener vehicle batteries comes to us with this time via a ZapMap article. Ultimate Battery Company is decided that the South Yorkshire location is going to be perfect for their R&D and manufacturing uh, hub and what is apparently being called the region's potential as the green heart of the UK. So they have received a financial aid to the tune of 5.2 million from the South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority so that they can develop technologies to help reduce CO2 emissions as well as produce new batteries that are what which is what everybody is after at the moment is something that will take more charge in a smaller or lighter battery pack it'll charge quicker and it'll cost less that's what everybody really wants and uh, they are working hard on that front fingers crossed because they are looking at in the region of a hundred odd jobs i think uh, to do with this new facility uh, which will be great for the region and again adds further weight to how we are as a country, really pushing forward on the battery technology, the zero emission technology. Um, and I think we're going to need all these disparate companies working on solutions to come up with versions that will be applicable in commercial targets that also use the expertise we have through the engineering and science that we've got in this country. Continuing with charging, but unfortunately, this is not good news. The Home Charger grant, which is called the Electric Vehicle Home Charge Scheme, is going to change come the start of April this year. If you are a homeowner living in a bungalow, detached, semi-detached or terraced house, you will no longer be able to apply for the grant of up to £350 offsetting of the cost of installing a charger at our homes. You can, however, if you are living in rental accommodation and if you live in a flat, provided you have access to dedicated off-street parking, try to claim the grant. 
this sort of uh, this ties in with how they keep changing the grant for buying a, an electrified vehicle. This one does seem a little harder to understand why they're doing this, apart from they need to save as much cash as possible. I can't see any justification for stopping this at the moment. It just seems like a, a we need to cut costs, so we'll just cut them everywhere, unfortunately. There is a link in the show notes to the Car Magazine's article about this, but also, what interestingly, what they've put below that is options when it comes to home charging, and they discuss the pros and cons of all the options that are out there. So if you are thinking of getting a home charger or you are thinking maybe, well, I'll just plug it into the three pin, you do need to read the article to find out some of the pitfalls, uh, but also what are some of the pluses of doing so before you make a decision on that front. Now I'm going to move on to a government consultation that has been brought to our attention thanks to Twitter user at Diamond Hell. And this is to do with uh, green laning. If you are someone who enjoys green laning or likes to dabble with green laning, you need to pay attention to this. There is a landscape access consultation from the government that runs until the middle of April. Last time that one of these consultations ran along, apparently we lost in the region of 50% of the UK's green lanes. There are discussions on various forums, and again from Diamond Hell, that talk about how the wording of the questions make it feel very much that they are from a perspective of just the ramblers and where it looks like access to the countryside is very much being positioned as only one group's right because they seem to have lobbied the best or the loudest. As many voices as possible are needed because whilst poor etiquette and poor green laning needs to be stopped it doesn't mean that all green laning should be stopped in any way it it, it is a it is a fun thing i know alan really enjoys when he's done it um that sort of thing i've never i've never gone for green laning but it does look a cracking cracking amount of fun and i don't think it should be stopped just because there are a few people who want to walk along and don't want to hear a motor vehicle ever or whatever their particular reasons are for why they think green laning with motor vehicles is a definite no-no. So do click through on the link in the show notes if you do green laning and if you want your voice to be heard, which uh, as many people as possible need to do so, please. That brings us to the end of the first part. And so that means it is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration each month, then you can become a patron. There are different levels of patron, including different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Normally, not today though, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, nobody needs to just stare at me. We also have a small range of merchandise that is available on our website and from our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts, which has been recently expanded thanks to Alan's work, which takes in some new designs and thank you so much to everybody who has already bought some of the new designs. It is, it is wonderful to see that you're doing it. And thank you for sharing your sharing your pictures online and sharing your pictures directly with us out of modesty of not wanting to tell everybody about it, which we do totally understand. 
Uh, if you don't have any spare cash, though, and we completely understand that, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released. And you can also like and rate our show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you do so. If you've done all that, and some of you do, and some of you continue to do so, thank you so much. The last thing we can ask is for you to recommend us to your friends and family and colleagues, to anyone that you think might enjoy listening to us talk about the news on a weekly basis. Thank you, everybody that does. WRC was back, and it was Rally Sweden. And Rovan Pera, 21 years after his dad won the event, took his third career victory. And he had essentially a faultless drive in the Toyota. He beats Thierry Neuville by twenty sec by twenty two seconds. Uh, surprisingly, Neuville was second. Evans was running in second, coming up to the start of the third day. But unfortunately, a couple of errors had put him eight to ten seconds behind. But then he had another error on the first stage, and then there was a a hybrid tech issue which meant he had to withdraw from the event he's not the only one who had hybrid tech issues over the uh, event but this is one of the more grueling conditions temperature wise that the technology will come across so it's not a surprise that one or two had problems with that in third was a toyota teammate uh, of uh, roven pera lappy who that's his first podium in about three years and his first rally back in the factory team since Mexico last year, I believe it was. Great rally if you're Toyota. Top rally if you're Noville. The rest of the Hyundai team, Tanic, DNF. Again, there was a hybrid tech issue, but he was already, he was it was flying for a while. Solberg did okay. Um, he was in sixth. Uh, M Sport. Uh, it was never going to be as much as we hoped, but it was never going to be as successful as Monte Carlo. But it wasn't helped with Breen seemed to be off the. It's not off the pace at all, but he just it wasn't there. If you know what I mean, it was just it wasn't working for him. That this rally, he had multiple uh, small issues which compounded to him eventually having to withdraw. But Greensmith brought in the car in uh, fifth for them, uh, I believe. The fact that I, I'm, whilst it's brilliant that Rovan Pera won the won the rally, I think the fact that Neuville managed to drag that Hyundai to second, and he was leading briefly, is a phenomenal effort by him. Uh, he really, in these two rallies, has stepped up to be the leader of the. Hyundai team when it comes to drivers he is the person carrying that that team at the moment there is two months off before the next rally uh, which I think is Croatia and Tarmac there's a month and a half of improvements to be done by everybody including the people who supply the hybrid tech so Rovan Pair is in lead for the overall championship with Nouvelle in second Evans walks away Zero points again. Uh, he he needs a result in the next one, frankly. He needs a result because it's just not gone well for him. I don't know whether he's trying too hard or something or a bit too much, but uh, he really needs a result. <sighs> Two months now. We've got to wait for more rally. That's just not on. Uh, 
Oh, while I'm on the, uh, that, obviously in, in the show notes, there's going to be our usual links for what happened in the rally. There will be Colin Clark's drivers, ratings, and there'll also be the what we learned, all from Dirtfish as ever. But also Dirtfish are doing a Women in Motorsport month, and that has just started. So go to their YouTube channel and their website, and there will be articles and videos or celebrating uh, women in uh, rallying, uh, which will be great to see. Uh, and it should be uh, superb. Right, the lunchtime read. And unusually, it comes from Autocar, because normally we're about them with the news. But Jim Holder has written an opinion piece, because he go, he starts off by talking about the Paris car ban, but then opens it up and says, is this a sign of things to come? Now, in the UK, we have seen more and more clean air zones being implemented. We have seen more and more discussions about the possibility of banning cars, of uh, certainly for certain times of the day, on certain routes around urban areas. So this isn't that much of a surprise, but it is something we need to consider. It is definitely a discussion that needs to be had. And we, as car owners, let alone being in the industry that talks about, makes, enjoys cars, we we need, as just people who use them, we need to be involved in these discussions because we understand, I think pretty much everybody understands, that things have to change to deal with the level of vehicles on the road as well as cleaning up the air. We all want a better environment to move around. It needs to be done in a way that deals with the peculiarities of each place, but also has the same aim in in mind. And as we've seen with some of the implementations of the clean air zones, the cookie-cutting, just drop in a solution that was used somewhere else isn't always the best way forward. And and the local environment has to be considered, not uh, not just the people, not just the makeup of the roads and the public transport, but just everything combined together, there will be peculiarities at every location. So we need to take that into account. This is a really good article from Jim. Thoroughly recommend that you read it. It should start us all having this discussion. It needs to be a discussion as well. It needs to we need do need to stop the screaming at each other uh, and have proper discussions about how can we get together and think about how we can we can get to a better time behind the wheel, but also not make it horrible for other people? Right, the list of the week. Because Alan isn't here, we're going to go and talk about, because, you know, we do miss him. I'm sure you listeners miss him right now. But it's 15 quirky Japanese cars of the 1990s, which could well be his specialist subject if he was ever on Mastermind. But this is from a Classic and Sports Cars. And, oh, there are some good ones in here. Uh, I know what my choice would be. I won't tell you. But I'm going to take a stab at guessing which car Alan might go for in this. And then you can click through on the link in the show notes yourselves and run through and see if you agree with me, but also which one you'd pick. So I think this is quite, it is quite tough. I think Alan would possibly pick the Suzuki Cappuccino from the list. Now, Alan, please don't, 
please don't just say no out of thing. Do do be honest with me if I'm remotely close when you go through the list yourself. But uh, yeah, there are oh, there's some fabulous cars in here. <laughs> I'd be happy with quite a lot of them, and I would be very unhappy with some of them as well. I really would. Some awesome cars there. Do have a run through that great list, and that leaves us with the and finally, and this is from Haggerty. The harshest car quiz master out there. Anthony Ingram has written a quiz for Haggerty called Can You Handle Our Front-Wheel Drive Quiz? And there are 10 questions about front-wheel drive vehicles and the technology. And then you need to run through and let me know how you did. Now, if we remember, the last quiz that I did for this, for Haggerty one, I did really quite poorly. It was better than I thought I'd do. Well, I have surpassed myself alan has seen evidence of this i managed to get seven out of ten i think i knew three and i guess the other four <laughs> so please people with actual knowledge and understanding of these things please do run through the quiz and have a punt at it and it should be uh <laughs> it's a nice little fun thing if nothing else but uh, there was oh there were some bits in there that i just I, I clearly i had no idea about so that was great fun doing that one and that just about rounds it out for us. Parish Notes, yes, we had a special edition out last Friday. I had a Volvo XC40 Recharge, that's their fully EV uh, XC40, for a week. And you can hear me talk about that. You can hear me also, unfortunately, have to talk about the charging infrastructure as well. And you can listen into what I thought about my time with the car. There won't be a special edition out this week. Hopefully we'll get the opportunity to record. We've got a couple of more due to be recorded next week. Um, so hopefully the when Alan is back, uh, he will be here for the new show. You'll be pleased to hear. Then we can hopefully record a couple of reviews that we've got in the bank that we need to do. And uh, that will be out on the Friday following uh, following the recording. All that leaves for me to say is that don't forget between now and next time, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, on the Facebook, and also via the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon. You can help us out via our merch store. You can also leave us a rating and review via your podcast app. And you can let other people know about our show and hopefully they'll listen and enjoy. So the best way to get in touch with us is if you want to get in touch with Alan and complain why he isn't here. If you look on Twitter and search for at uh, AJP Bradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, that one's for you, Alan. And if you want to get in touch with me, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter as well. And that's you'll find me. And so we'll be back soon. But until then, he hasn't been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues and safe motoring. <laughs>